Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 263. Help enough other people get what they want in life, and sooner or later, you'll get what you want in life. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Award-winning author and designer Dwight Knowlton has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's special guest, Mike Phillips. Mike, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Hey, I'm ready to go as fast as you are. All right. Great (laughs) to have you here. Mike Phillips is the Director of Training at AutoGeek. He's a car care professional who's been detailing and caring for vehicles since the 1970s. At AutoGeek, the online source for car care products, Mike trains their staff hosts AutoGeek's detailing how-to videos. He provides the detailing tips segments on My Classic Car TV with Dennis Gage, and he has appeared on Two Guys Garage, Motorhead Garage, and the What's in the Garage TV show. Mike is the expert in automotive surface care. Mike, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your career, your interests, and of course your passion for taking care of automobiles? I'd be glad to. Uh, First, I I think nowadays a person can type in any detailing topic to Google, add my name, and pull up probably multiple articles on that topic. Wow. uh, I'm a prolific writer. I never meant to be, but um, uh, in college, uh, I took a typing class. I took one in high school, but I think I slept all the way through it. But in college, (laughs) I took a a typing class, and I probably wanted to try very hard, except for there was a cute girl in there, and I I wanted to, you know, do a good job. There you go. uh, I learned to type, and uh, now I've, I'm kind of a speed typist, so it doesn't take any effort at all. To, uh, in fact, I can I can type faster than I can think, so the only thing that slows me down is my brain. <laughs> That's not <laughs> a bad thing sometimes. <laughs> so I think I think about 30 words a minute, so I think I could type over about 100, but I think at 30. Well, you know how I got started was my dad, uh, probably like a lot of guys. Dad was a car guy. He was a truck guy, he was a boat guy, and a motorcycle guy, and a dirt bike guy. It just seems like I can remember he was always had a new car to tinker on, and it would be what I always call an SIV, which I uh, stands for Special Interest Vehicle. So yeah. he always had something. We always had a boat. We always went water skiing. He always had a street motorcycle. And, of course, uh, me and my brother and my dad grew up with dirt bikes, and uh, we, we hung out with a large group of guys in uh, Cottage Grove, Oregon, 
and uh, we would go out and ride dirt bikes on the weekend. So I'm pretty sure it was my dad that kind of uh, drug me into this whole car world just by uh, leading by example. Sure. Uh, and then uh, one of the things I, I kind of discovered was uh, was in Oregon, of course, it rains uh, nine months out of the year, so you get three months of sunshine. Mm-hmm. And every Memorial Day, that would be the kickoff for uh, camping. You know, that everybody gets their boat and their camper and their bikes out. And and uh, the first weekend, you really kind of dive into summer's Memorial Day weekend. And it just, by default, it became my job to get the boat ready. And that means, you know, washing the boat, removing the oxidation, uh, putting the armor all in the seats, and uh, getting that plexiglass window clear again so the driver could see where he's going. <laughs> sure. And, um, I'd be the kid that would be bugging dad. Come on, dad, get the boat out, get the boat out. You know, son, we're a month away. <laughs> yeah. Get the boat out, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of started out as a boat guy probably more than a car guy. But um, but then, you know, like most guys, I read Hot Rod Magazine, Street Rodder Magazine. Uh, me and all the guys I went to grade school with, and uh, we built model cars and painted them. And at some point, and I, I wish I could remember how this happened, but at some point I somehow talked my dad into taking his car hauling trailer and I found a Model T hot rod in a barn out in some farmland in Oregon. And uh, my dad's more on the conservative side of cars, but somehow I drug, I uh, talked him into this. And my, so at age 15, my first car was a hot rod Model T. Oh my gosh. It was an old quarter mile drag car. And it was such an interesting car. I, I wish my parents would have taken a picture back then. We didn't have digital cameras and yeah. There's just no pictures of it, but it had a 283 with a six-pack. It had the steel Model T bucket, original steel bucket uh, body. It had the original windshield and steering wheel. It had a Packard four-speed. It had a Ford Columbia two-speed rear end. It had a four-inch dropped I-beam axle. It had a uh, custom-made wooden mini truck bed with 67 GTO taillights in it. Oh, my gosh. And some homemade fiberglass fenders. It was very interesting looking, and I did a ton of work into it, but I'm sad to say I never actually got it onto the road. At some point, my dad said, son, let's let's go ahead, and you had a lot of learning experiences with this one. Let's go ahead and sell it, and let's get you something that's already running. And, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, again, we found a 1948 Plymouth Coupe in a barn. This thing actually had hay and chickens and rats living in it. And, oh, gosh. And again, we, we pulled it out with a rope using this truck. And luckily for me, it actually ran pretty good. So um, I took over getting it painted. And that was uh, technically my second car that I purchased on my own. But the first car I was able to drive back and forth to school. Very cool. That's kind of how I got started. Yeah, well, very cool. Well, we'll learn more about what you're doing there at AutoGeek and all the different things you're involved in. But I always like to start my guest journey by asking for a success quote. It's one of those things that's been instrumental in forming your success in your life, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So usually you say, Mike, take the wheel, but I'll say, Mike, take the orbital. Yeah, I have a favorite quote, and I do live by it. And uh, it's by a gentleman, a motivational speaker uh, named Zig Ziglar. Ah, yes. And he has a lot of quotes, but this is my favorite, and it goes like this. Help enough other people get what they want in life, and sooner or later, you'll get what you want in life. Yes. Yeah, so I just practice that, and, and in my career, as ridiculous as it may seem, uh, seem, I help people get shiny cars. If you just drill it down to the most basic one sentence or one liner, mm-hmm. uh, I help people make their car shiny. And um, I've been helping people do this now for my entire life, you know, whether it's a guy with a brand-new Porsche or someone with an old Honda. 
you know, I just, I can remember back to my roots and, uh, but I, I kind of live by that mantra. And if you, if you break that, um, that quote down, it's actually just Zig Ziglar's version of the golden rule do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Absolutely. I love Zig Ziglar, loved him for years. And, you know, a lot of what you're doing is a lot like that old Bible saying, is it give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, teach him how to fish, and he'll eat for a lifetime. And that's what you're doing. You're teaching people how to care for their vehicles, showing them that they can do it, and they just needed the right tools, the right products, and they can make their car shine. So I love that. That's a great mantra. You talked about dragging that old car out of a, a field in Oregon, but is there a moment in time that really instigated your passion for cars, that pivotal moment when you really knew you were a car guy? Um, if, if I had to pick a point in time, it, it would go back to the 48 Plymouth Coupe that we actually drug out of the, uh, the barn there. I, I took it home, and I got what they call aircraft-quality paint stripper, Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time stripping a lot of paint off that. Uh, back then, I worked at a gas station for a buck sixty-five an hour, and <laughs> I saved all my money. And luckily, my my auto shop teacher and uh, was good friends with a custom car painter in Springfield, Oregon. And uh, he took and painted my car. I mean, he laid down a nice paint job for me. Uh, I can't remember what I paid, but I remember just saving every dime I made pumping gas to get that thing painted. <laughs> yeah, a buck sixty-five. And the uh, sad thing was, is uh, at one point I actually did blow up the motor, and um, my dad got all mad, you know, because he knew how it happened, and he says, "You parked <laughs> that thing, so you got the money to fix it." Mm-hmm. And uh, when I finally did get the motor rebuilt and I switched over to twelve volts and went through the brakes, you know, really got it mechanically up to par. I looked at the paint job, and this paint job I'd saved all this money for and worked so hard to get was now um, turning pink with oxidation and had big pink spots where water would pool. Because it sat, you know, it rains a lot in Oregon, so it would get sunny and then it would get wet and it get sunny. It just accelerated the oxidation while I was doing the motor. So back then, at the age of probably 16, 17, I. I asked my dad, well, Dad, how, how would you fix this? And Dad said, well, I'd get some rubbing compound and rub it out and follow that with polishing compound and, and then put some wax on it. That should fix it. And not trusting my dad, I, I thought, well, I'll get a second opinion. So I asked my shop teacher, and he pretty much said the same thing. And then I asked the guys behind my uh, favorite local auto parts store, and they pretty much said the same thing. So I'm thinking, <laughs> well, that, that must be the way to do it. So I bought a I think it was DuPont rubbing compound, a DuPont polishing compound. Oh, yeah. And, um, and then I, I read the label on all these waxes, you know, trying to figure out which one is the best one. I know a lot of guys do that. You sit there and you scan the, the wax aisle. And I finally picked this product called TR3 Resin Glaze because it sounded so scientific, you know. <laughs> and uh, I proceeded to rub the car out with the rubbing compound, and it was so gritty. I washed the car with dish soap afterwards, and uh, I know a lot of guys out there are just going, oh, my God, but back then that's what you did, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course. It turned the car Barbie pink, and my manhood was just shrinking, man. I said, whoa, <laughs> man, I wanted hot It was a hot rod red. It was actually 1976 Ford truck of bright red. Okay. And I was looking at this, going, oh, my gosh, the advice I got isn't working. So I thought, well, maybe there's more to it. So I did the second step, rubbed the whole thing down with the polishing compound. It was all gritty, too. So I washed it with the dish soap. And, again, it was Barbie pink. And I thought, well, I'll try the last step. I put the, the wax on, and uh, it did turn it red again. I was, like, wiping sweat off my forehead going, whew, I finally got it, <laughs> you know. But the thing I noticed was it didn't look the way it looked when I got it back from the painter. It looked good, but it didn't look that. It didn't have the same clarity and gloss. 
And, of course, I've been going to all the car shows. I mean, that was like my passion. I just love to go to car shows and check out the cars. And when I see the cars at the car show, I'm going, well, what do they know I don't know? And that's actually what led me to a quest, on a quest to figure out what it takes to really make paint look flawless. And I, en- I, I enjoyed that part. I, like, I really like wrenching on cars, so rebuilding motors and brakes. I like that part, but that's what I always call the knuckle-busting uh, mm-hmm. part. Yes. And what I found I gravitated towards was after the hard work is done, just making it look good. And that's how I got on this automotive journey, so to speak, was just because of the mistakes I made from bad information and then that put me on a quest to find good information. And, of course, back then we didn't have this thing called the Internet. Yeah, of course. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a wonderful story and trial and error, but I think one of the golden nuggets there is talking to people, getting information, learning from others. And lo and behold, little did you know way back then that you'd become the go-to guy for car care. So it's a nice big circle of life, if you will. What I'd love to do now is look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood. You're a guy who isn't afraid of getting his hands a little dirty and ask you to share a huge challenge or great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. But the more important part of this question is how did you overcome it and what did you learn from that situation? Well, for me, that's kind of a unique story. Uh, A lot of people that know me online know I I used to race a boat. It's a Sanger flat-bottom drag boat, a V-drive. It actually held the national title of 122 in nine seconds on the water. Oh, my gosh. I bought this when I was 21. Um, I got my first motor built, installed, and ready to race when I was 23. Uh, again, uh, that, that cost a lot of money. It took a lot of time. And um, in 19, that was in 83. In 86, through a boating mishap, my own boat ran over me, and the prop cut my right leg up so bad they couldn't save it. So on July 31st, uh, they had to amputate my leg just above the knee. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, the thing was, is when it happened, I I didn't realize I'd lost my leg. I didn't realize I was in shock, and I didn't realize I was in shock. Mm -hmm. All I knew was I couldn't. I I grew up in Albany, Oregon, and I'd been swimming in the the Kalapuya River all my life, and it was no big deal, but all of a sudden, I couldn't couldn't stand up in the water. I, I couldn't figure out why. I kept leaning forward, and all of a sudden, all these components of my leg kind of swirled up in the water in front of me so it didn't cut it off it just cut it up mm. and then it just hit me that's why i can't get my balance in the in the river here it's only waist high it's middle of summer the water level is really low yeah and for some reason here's what happened everything just went quiet i yelled to uh, someone to come get me out of here my, my buddy brian and while he was getting into the boat and getting it turned around to come get me everything went quiet and i drew a cross and at the time, I didn't even realize it was a cross, but it was a cross. It had one line going down and a line at the top going side to side. And in my life, I'd met people that had suffered uh, disabilities or accidents or, or losses, and then they became depressed, and they weren't any fun to be around. And I knew I didn't want to be that guy. So on the top of the one side of this cross, so to speak, I, I wrote, deal with it. And on the other side of the, the line going up and down, I wrote, don't deal with it. And then... On the side that said deal with it, I started making a list of things I had to do or wanted to do. And on the other side, don't deal with it. The only thing I had was, well, check out. You don't hang around, make everybody else sad. And then I looked at that side and looked at the other side and go, oh, my gosh, I got so much to do. So I chose to deal with it. And right then and there, that's when I – it's never been a problem. Like 
people would come up and say, how long did it take you to deal with losing your leg? I don't know, about 30 seconds. You know? <laughs> I mean, a list <laughs> oh, lost on the river, and, and I've never looked back. And, um, but that's how I dealt with that. And um, to tell you the truth, it's kind of interesting because that's how I got to where I'm at today. I had to move back home and go back to college while I was um, recovering and learning how to walk on an artificial leg. And uh, in my hometown, there was a gentleman named Jack Berkby who owned one of 11 Meguiar's RDCs, Regional Distribution Centers. Mm -hmm. This was back before Meguiar's went through warehouses. They had territories given to certain people. He had an automotive parts store, and I took a part-time job there after school as a counterman, selling spark plugs and water pumps, things like that. And uh, people would walk up. He had it's weird. See, he had two aisles. He had this huge aisle with every Meguiar's product I'd ever seen. And I've been detailing cars now for I don't know ten years using nothing but Meguiar's. And they had a little aisle with Rain Dance and Turtle Wax and New Finish. And when someone would walk up and place like a New Finish on the counter, I'd say, "What are you working on?" And this was my instinct. They'd say, "Well, it's out here in the parking lot." So I'd walk them back out there. We'd walk back in, and they'd sell. I'd sell them about seventy-five dollars of the Meguiar's to fix that problem. And my boss, Jack Berkby, he said, well, it, uh, you've got a knack for this. How about if I give you a truck full of this stuff and send you down the road calling a body shop? <laughs> What's funny is I didn't know he was asking me to be a sales guy, which is what he was asking me to do. I thought he was asking me to go show people how to make cars look good. Yeah. And I thought, well, hell yeah, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I started calling, going all over Oregon, Washington, Iowa, calling them body shops, dealerships, and detail shops. And one of the things I did was um, when you lose your leg, you find out right away that to wear pants is a real hassle. It's, first, if you bang the pants into anything hard, it puts a hole in the pants. Well, now you have an option to buy another pair of pants or patch the pants. Plus, you've got to put a zipper in them to get the leg on. Otherwise, it's another huge hassle. So I always wore shorts, even in the heart of winter in Oregon. And um, here's, what, here's what happened. When you call in a body shop, a dealership, or a detail shop, and you're wearing shorts with a chrome leg, Nobody knows you're a sales guy for some car wax company, so they don't run to the back. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're just a yeah. regular old guy. Yeah, I'm just a regular guy, you know, and I walk up, and then I say, hey, I'm from Meguiar's. I'm here to show you some new stuff, and, and most people go, hey, great. We love that stuff. Come on in. So it, it opened doors. It didn't close them, and, um, and it, it, made me, it, it helped me to become very successful in three states uh, for three years, uh, just calling on shops, working at car shows. But that's all because of that decision I made back in the river at the time I lost my leg. So I, I turned something that was really tragic into something I think was really positive. And that's how I got to, you know, in a roundabout way, that's how I got to where I'm at today. Well, first and foremost, thank you for sharing a very personal, but more importantly, very inspirational story that can help so many people in a different way than you already help people with their their vehicle surface care products. But uh, wow, what a wonderful story. Thank you, Mike. That's awesome. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those career aha moments with us that the headlights came on and kind of illuminated your way for a new idea or a new concept that you had. Tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. First of all, I don't believe in luck, at least not the word luck as most people define it. What I mean, what I believe is preparedness meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if an opportunity comes your way and you're prepared, then you can accept it and, and probably rise to the challenge and be successful. But if you're not prepared, then it, it just ain't going to matter. So I've never really believed in the word luck or being lucky. I believe in working hard. But I do believe that there's something about being at the right place at the right time if you're prepared. And um, 
back when I was uh, working as an outside sales rep covering three states for McGuire's, I found all these people that were just confused about all the numbers in their line. So I wrote a, I self-published and wrote a book called The Art of Polishing Paint, and it was like a user's guide for McGuire's to how to detail your car. Somehow Barry McGuire heard about this, and it's kind of funny because I was driving around in a hot rod 1966 Chevy milk truck. I love this truck. A hot rod milk truck. <laughs> wow. Yeah, a lot of guys know Divco, but this was a Chevy milk truck. It was a one-ton dually. The back was all fiberglass, three inches thick to keep the milk cold. Now, I didn't carry milk. I carried car wax, but that was like my route truck. Yeah. And it had a 396 big block Chevy, and it actually got it on pretty good. But I just got this thing called a cell phone. And for some reason, <laughs> it rang. So I pulled over my milk truck, and this guy goes, is this Mike Phillips? And I go, yes. Because not many people had my number. I just got him. He goes, this is Barry McGuire. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and he goes, I heard you wrote a book about my products. I go, yeah. And uh, he goes, would you just rip out the first four chapters and mail them to me? I thought, okay, you know, and I'm kind of flabbergasted or caught by, uh, you know, just I'm, I'm startled that this guy called me, and and I hope I'm not in trouble with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I did, just like you said, I, I carefully ripped out the first four chapters, stuck in an envelope, and mailed it to him. And a couple weeks later, he, he uh, had someone call me up and said, how would you like to come down for a job interview? Wow. So I went down for a job interview, and this was this is something that always stuck with me. Um, I was there for three days, and very like a lot of guys in the automotive industry, is very busy. And um, I, at the very last day, about two hours before my plane left to John Wayne, Barry comes walking down. You know, it's the first time I've met him since I've been there, and he sticks his hand down. And he says, "I love your writing." Mm. You know, and most people say, "Hi, my name is Barry McGuire," and he says, "I love your writing." Yes. And he goes, "How'd you like to work for me as a writer?" And uh, he says, right now I do all the writing for the company. I'm just too busy. I need someone that's got the passion. He goes, I've tried to hire professional college-accredited writers, but this, everything's dry. I've got to teach them everything. Mm -hmm. I go, you've got it. You've got what I have. So nice. I said yes. And then uh, within that next year, I took a position. They created it. It's called the corporate writer. And I took over a job as the, uh, all the writing for labels, uh, radio ditties, uh, anything that had to do with words, I was in charge of it. Cool. And uh, and here's where this story is going. Is uh, is the aha moment. This thing started up called the internet, and <laughs> discussion forum software was introduced around 2000. B bulletin, and I went to work for McGuire's at the corporate office in 2002. So that's really when the V bulletin discussion forums were starting to take off. Yeah. And they had a garage, a three car garage, right outside my office that they weren't really ever using for anything except for to park cars in. Uh, so I went to my manager and said, Hey, uh, how about we teach a detailing class? And he said. Sure, we can do that. And I've been hanging out on a Mercedes-Benz forum, and all these guys were just confused about claying and compounding and polishing and waxing. So I threw out this offer. I said, hey, most of you guys are here in Southern California. Why don't you come on down? We'll have a little class right here at McGuire's. And like 30 guys took me up on that offer. Yeah. So I held this casual class, showed them how to work and machine polish and remove swirls and all this stuff. And it was a lot of fun. And I still got some pictures from that day. And then the next week, my phone started ringing. Hey, Mike, I was at that class, and I'm a member of the BMW club. When can our club come down? <laughs> Another guy would call, hey, you know, I'm a member of the Jaguar club. And my friend told me about that. When can our Jaguar club come down? And, uh, you know, I told the manager at the time, Mike Pennington, he says, well, uh, let's just schedule the class. And so I started scheduling his classes using discussion forums and then posting the pictures of the, the, the guys having fun working on cars. And... In about oh. nine months, 
McGuire's management came to me and says, we don't know what all this stuff is you're doing out there, but we like it. Why don't you just write your own job description? <laughs> there you go. There you go. So there's your so luck. I did. <laughs> and I, but I was able to take my passion for working on cars, uh, my passion for showing people how to work on cars, and then something that I found I was, you know, fairly good at, and that was typing, you know, explaining things with words and taking pictures and putting them all together. And uh, I brought up the McGuire's online discussion forum in 2004, and I ran that till 2009 when I um, uh, came to AutoGeek, and now I run their discussion forum. So it's, uh, but it was it was the aha moment, going, wow, I found a way to take what I love to do and make and make a living from it. You know, perfect. It's perfect. Exactly what Cars yeah is all about. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. How about proudest career moments? I assume you've had many, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? I'd have to say two. And one uh, was my uh, my employer, the guy that uh, started and has uh, guided Auto Geek to the success it has today, uh, Bob McKee. Mm-hmm. Uh, he invited me out to um, Detail Fest. That's his car show. Oh, yeah. And he asked me to come out and teach the class I was teaching at McGuire's here at Detail Fest. So I thought, oh, okay. So I flew out here and taught my class. And after it was over, he asked me to his office, and he said he really liked, you know, what I was doing in the industry and really thought my class got everybody's attention and asked me if I'd like to come work for him. And I thought, well, I don't know. Like, I, I got a pretty good gig back there at McGuire's. And uh, he says, I'll give you everything McGuire's has given you plus your own TV show. Wow. And so I was like, wow, that's that's a pretty good offer. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I thought about it for a little bit, and I said, well, tell you what, let me think about it. And um, I said, yes, I'll, I'll take that job. I had everything I had at McGuire's plus my own TV show. And to me, the, the cool thing about that was is when you teach a class for around 30 people, you know, you're reaching 30 people, mm-hmm. showing them how to make their car shiny. When you do it on TV, you're you're reaching you know, untold numbers, millions of people. Right. And when you go into reruns, you know, it just it goes on and on and on. And and that was my passion was to show people how to get the results they're looking for the first time. So the TV show was definitely, uh, I had, we had, we had what's in Onagie's garage for two years. And that was a real sharp learning curve. There was, you know, we made some mistakes, we had some successes, and I'm glad to say that we're actually moving forward with some new projects based upon those experiences. But that, that was the, that was one a major pinnacle of my life. The next was publishing my first how-to book, uh, The Art of Detailing. That's where I took all the stuff that's in my head, and it's mostly about exterior detailing, so paint polishing and working by machine, and taking and just to put that into paper in a way that flowed from start to beginning, from A to Z, uh, was a huge undertaking. And, and I think that's why a lot of people don't write books. They, they have a desire to write a book on whatever their passion is, but they don't do it because it's such an overwhelming uh, project to undertake. And my boss, again, he pushed me and pushed me. And, and I remember working, uh, getting here at 7 in the morning and working until midnight, a lot of times just typing and retyping. And when it came out, I, I was really proud of it because I, I think it helped a lot of people. And all the information is very accurate. It was when I wrote it, and it's just as accurate today. First and foremost, congratulations. And I worked in the car care business for many, many, many years, and I read your book. You did a fantastic job, just fantastic job. So uh, kudos to you for for that, and uh, I can't wait to hear about the next ventures coming up. Let's have a little bit of fun here. You may have already answered this question, but I'd love to hear about your first really special vehicle and maybe a memory you have with that car. Oh, wow. The 
first one that I really enjoyed, it would be tough between my drag boat because I had the drag boat for 20 years. Uh, but probably my first favorite car was my truck. It was a 1971 Chevy three-quarter ton, four-wheel drive. And there was a kid in town that owned it, and I'd been bugging him for months to sell it to me, and he's like, no way. Mm-hmm. And then the inevitable happened. He got married. His wife was pregnant. Mm, there you go. California. <laughs> <laughs> the violins come out. Oh, I was sitting on cash. And, and, and meanwhile, I had already built up a 402 big block Chevy. I had already built up a turbo 400 and had a two-ton military transfer case. So when he let go of this, I bought it on a Friday. It had a small block uh, with a you know what I call wimpy running gear. Mm-hmm. I bought it on a Friday afternoon, and I'm proud to say Saturday afternoon I was backing it out with a big block, <laughs> and a new transmission and transfer case. Cool. And I after I finished it that day, I drove that truck for 12 years and never turned a wrench on it. And it had wow. a, I was the second guy in my town. 40 inch tall super swampers had just came out in the market. And my best friend bought the, he had the first set of 40s, and I had the second set. And then as soon as I burned through those, I had the first set of 44s. So I burned through two sets of 44-inch tall super swampers on that truck, and I pulled my drag boat all over Kingdom Come with it. I actually uh, carefully cut the top off and made a half-cab soft top for it. So I had a monster truck that was four-wheel drive and a full convertible. Very cool. <laughs> now that's, yeah, a special, a that's a special car. That's nice. How about vehicles that you've sold that you really wish you could have back? Is there one in particular? Uh, the 1966 Chevy milk truck. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I got to tell you, when you when you own and drive a milk truck, you meet all the milk truck people. <laughs> <laughs> the milk and truck people. they're out people. there. <laughs> well, you know, they're out there. They got hot-rodded milk trucks. You know, in Southern yeah. California, when I drove it around down there, I mean, oh, it's yeah. just people would just walk over and go, what the heck is this? It's a milk truck. Yeah. And they just couldn't grasp it, you know. And uh, for the people listening, if you go up to Google, click on images, and type in 1966 Chevy milk truck and add my name, Mike Phillips, and you'll pull up you know, a dozen pictures of it. I mean, it was cool. There you go. Very and, cool. Uh, I wish I could get it back. That was a cool truck. Yeah, sounds like it. There's a couple of those up here in the Northwest I've seen at uh, Cars and Coffee events, and uh, some people get very creative with those. It's They're, they're great fun. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on today that really has you excited and fired up? Yeah, there is. I have three four-wheel drives. They all are big trucks. I have a 1975 GMC Jimmy with a 454 big block and 42-inch swampers. I have a 1978 Chevy three-quarter with one-ton axles and 40-inch tires. And then my daily driver that I drive every day is a 1987 Silverado. And it's kind of a hot rod. It's got three-quarter ton running gear. So the, they came with half ton. So it's, it's got four-wheel disc brakes. It currently has a small block Chevy, but I'm prepping a big block for it. And uh, I got a Dodge MP205 transfer case. And I just had Dana Smith down there in Southern California building me up a Turbo 400 short shaft. And, uh, and so it's, it's got some of, it'll have some of the best running gear available for a daily driver. It's got a 12-inch lift kit sitting on 40-inch Toyos, brand-new paint job, and it is just a blast to drive. It looks good, it goes fast, and it's fun to drive. Sounds like it. Awesome. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Mike. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? And I know you'd be really shiny to start this (laughs) off with. (laughs) Well, uh, I had to go back to my first big truck, my 71, and uh, they called those the the, the rounded years. So 72 is the last year for the Chevy, um, what they call the rounded body style, before they went to the square Cheyenne style. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, but if I had to be if any car, and I thought about this, I'd want to be a 1972 Chevy three quarter ton four wheel drive, just like the ones I build, because they're functional, uh, they're simple to work on. There's no computer. Um, I like big trucks. You know, a lot of people would think it's funny that I'm missing my right leg that I'd want a car because wouldn't a big tall truck be harder to get into? Mm-hmm. Actually, a car is really hard to get into because when I lower my body into the car, all the weight is on my left leg. Uh, and it's gonna over time it would tear up my knee. When I get into my big truck, I put one hand on the seat and one hand on the armrest, and I do like a uh, military presser, and I just do a dip only. I just go up and then slide in, so it never hurts my good knee. And I've met so many older guys that have artificial knees, mm-hmm. and once they get one, it may have caused, it may have helped, but it's never the same as having the real thing. Oh yeah. So um, so I'd want to be a big tall truck, and I like the '72 Chevy body style. It's a classic, good looking body style. A very good choice. I think that's great. <laughs> so, Mike, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to our Cars Yeah sponsor. No more worries about a dead battery. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium-ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. Includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight and it easily recharges charges with usb outlets so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road works on any 12 volt lead acid battery the genius boost from noco is the ultimate emergency tool it's safe and easy to use quality design state-of-the-art technology from noco your battery care source since 1914 get yours at geniuschargers.com all right mike we're back and we're entering the last lap and this is where i'm going to fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? This comes from a guy named Jack Anderson. He was a paint instructor for PPG. And uh, when people would ask him about how to take care of PPG, instead of like picking a brand, you know, because sometimes that can ruffle feathers, mm-hmm. he would say, find something you like and use it often. He says, if you like it, that means you probably like how it's going on, how it's wiping off, and how it's looking. And if you use it often, your car will always look brand new. Ah, perfect It's advice. only when you neglect this car that it goes downhill. So ah. I've, been, I've, I've got an article by that name, and I've been sharing that in my signature line for going on 20 years. Perfect, Find perfect. Find something you like, use it often. Use it often. Great advice. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success through the years? Yeah, this one word I always uh, comes to mind is tenacity. Mm-hmm. I, I never give up. Uh, my mom and dad instilled into me a very strong work ethic as a kid growing up. Uh, they taught me to work hard and be honest. It's obviously served you very well, and you go back to your, your incredible story of losing your leg, and tenacity certainly came into play there as well. Don't give up. Just keep moving forward. Do you have a resource that you think the Cars Yow listeners would really enjoy? Autogeek.com, uh, <laughs> yes. that's our that's the parent store. And, you know, of course, not only can you get everything in the world that's related to car wax. In fact, we call it the Car Wax Superstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, it's got a great library of how-to articles and videos. It's just a great resource. And uh, then I, the forum that I work on for Autogeek is autogeekonline.net. You know, it's free to join. You can come up, post any question, and myself and a, a really great bunch of mostly guys, a few women, we answer the questions. You can get all the help you need on our forum. 
Absolutely. You guys forum is awesome. It's been awesome for many, many years. You were kind of the first people to, uh, as I recall, to come out with a forum like that and engage users. So I think that's so important, sharing that information. How about a book? Is there one book in particular you think the Cars Yeah listeners would really enjoy? I highly recommend this book. My boss, Bob McKee, uh, recommended it to me. Uh, and I tell you, in, in life, nothing happened Nothing happens by accident. So if someone like Bob comes to me and says, I want you to read a book, I take that as a sign. I need to read the book. Mm-hmm. And I read it. It's called Listening Pays by Rick Bomelji. And um, it's a story about a detailer, of all things, named Alfred Marino. And Alfred is like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He, he lost his hearing at a young age. And it wasn't until later in life, through the miracle of science, they were able to restore his hearing. And he's the focus point of this book. And what it teaches you is a lot of us, you know, we think we listen, but actually we're not paying attention to what the other person's saying. And um, I read this book, and it has completely changed my life because now the first thing I do when someone starts talking is I shut up, <laughs> look at them in the eyes, and I listen to what they're saying. And it'll help you in your relationships. It'll help you in business. It'll help you in every aspect of your life. I just can't recommend it enough. It's called Listening Pays. Yes, it's a wonderful book. I've shared that with both my children, and I love that book. It's a great reference. It reminds me a lot of Stephen Covey's number, I think it's number five habit, first listen to understand, then speak to be understood. And it's so, so important in all aspects of life. Great reference. Listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at carsyad.com slash Mike Phillips. All right, Mike, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. I'm real interested to see how you'll answer this one. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry (laughs) about the cost, and you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with, so that little trick's (laughs) off the table, what would that one vehicle be and why? Uh, 1967 Corvette Stingray with the LA88 427 Big Block. And what is it about that car you love so much? I just think it's one of the nicest-looking, meanest-looking cars ever built. I love the black with the red Stinger hood, uh, the big block, of course. They're just a meaty-looking, fast car. And, you know, if you've got a 67 Vet with a big block, I don't think bragging rights get any better than that. <laughs> it's a beautiful car. Great choice. I love it. <laughs> Mike, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey, an incredible journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you screech off down the straightaway in that 67 Stingray? Uh, Yeah, just for all the young guys um, that may be listening to this into the future, I think the most important thing in life is discover what both your talents are and where's your passion. You know, what gets you excited? What makes you jump out of bed when the alarm goes off? And uh, I, I believe God gives each one of us our own unique talents and personality to go with them. And he has a plan for our life. And it's our job to discover these talents and then pursue them with everything in us. Uh, life is a journey, and it's really up to each of us to make the most out of our time here on earth. And you certainly don't want to go through life uh, doing something that you don't enjoy. So that would be my advice. Find where your passion is, find where your talents are, and then you know chase it with all your heart. Great advice for our Cars Yeah listeners. Excellent. Listeners, again, you can find links to everything we've talked about on Mike's show notes page at carsyad.com. Just put Mike in the search bar and his show notes page will come up with links to everything he shared. 
Mike, thank you again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and, and for sharing your experiences with me and with the Car Show listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.